Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Be an improvement over the, uh, you know, sirens from New York that we use. Hey, hey, sirens in New York City. It's just part of the charm. Forget about it. Just Olivia Benson rolling up and down the street to take another case. Oh, that I could hear about. <laughs> I'm micing his purse. Yeah, I can, hear, I can tell. You want to not mic his purse so I can get started? All That's right. how we're all feeling. Okay, it is, actually. Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio, and we're here to talk about another disgraceful performance by Tottenham Hotspur, who once again lost on XG to their opponent under Big Ange Postacoglu. In a moment, we will discuss if he is a fraud. No, we're not going to do that. We're actually all very happy. But first, uh, don't, forgive us, don't forget to give us a good day, mate, by leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify or following us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that that's out of the way, let's actually talk about how excited we are. I am joined, as always, by my two faithful co-hosts. Coming to us from the slopes of South Florida, he is so mad that he can't smell any shrimp on the Barbie. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, have you figured out that you're not supposed to put a didgeridoo up your nose yet? No. What? <laughs> That's That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it's for the other thing. Oh, yeah, I'm not into that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Australia is a weird country, I guess. So good for that. I wondered how they made those noises. So that makes sense now. Okay. And coming to us from the bush in East Atlanta, it's Ben Daniels. Ben, have you mastered the boomerang yet? Uh, no. You I played I, a lot of Zelda. I, I'm skeptical that you, between that and Ange Postacoglu's example, that you haven't mastered a boomerang yet. Honestly, like, this is, like, I'm just aging out of video games in general, but, like, you used to throw a boomerang at Zelda, and it just came back to you, and that was the end of it. Now you got to throw a boomerang and you got to push a button when it gets around your hand. Otherwise, it just keeps going. And I can't, I'm not I'm not equipped for that. It's kind of woke boomerang culture. It's just ruining video games. Yeah, frankly, <laughs> that's my take. Um, I made the joke about the XG, but I, I want to talk about this game, this game, because I don't think there's any way you could be dissatisfied with this performance. I don't think the numbers tell the whole story. I think this was. I think United created a few chances, but frankly, I think this game was all Spurs, even if it was, you know, a little bit up and down in the first half. I I think we outplayed them. I think we were more coherent than them. I am incredibly happy with this performance, especially two games in the Ange Postacoglu's uh, tenure. Uh, Ben, do you want to bring us all down? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was all Spurs. I mean, I think the first half was pretty dicey. Like, they created... Several good chances. You know, we had a couple, a couple notable bad Pedro Porro giveaways in the early going. Um, we hadn't really figured out 
how to break Man U's press. We weren't able to like move through the lines the way that Ange clearly wants us to. Um, our own press was fine, but in possession is, I think, where things didn't look very good. And then halftime happened, and we blew the doors off the game. And, man, you did nothing, and we just destroyed them. And I would be a little worried about that first half. You know, I think we had a similar kind of rocky first half against Brentford. Um, but, you know, man, you had a almost identical game against Wolves the week before where they came out looking strong and then kind of completely fell apart and managed to steal a win, but uh, they they were not convincing. So I'm, I'm not shocked that we were able to sort of turn them over at halftime. I, I would, just to defend myself very quickly, I would question the assertion that Man United came out strong. And I guess what I would say about this game is you're right. Man United did create chances. I think even when we were sort of feeling our way into the game, I think Spurs were a far more coherent side. I think we were taking it to United all game, even though we got, like you said, Ben, much more effective in the second half. I think if I was a United fan trying to find positives in this match, I would sound a lot like me trying to keep this podcast away from sharp objects during the Antonio Conte uh tenure last year i mean i I don't think i'd feel very good about much in this match like honestly the goalkeeping is about the only thing i'd feel great about if i was a united fan coming out of this match it's i think spurs were on the front foot i think they were aggressive i think they were constantly going after united and they really figured out the second half but you know i i don't think united like they capitalized on a few mistakes but there, there wasn't a real game plan being executed there maybe i'm being harsh but that's how i felt watching it I mean, look, if you want to talk XG, you know, expected goals in the first half were about 2 to 0.5 in Man U's favor, which is not good. Uh, but that, McCar- like, we had the best chance in the first half. I think that's undeniable. But it hit the goal, it hit the crossbar or the post, I mean, whatever. Bruno Fernandez's chances in the first half that he, that that's the best chance of the first half. Yeah, well, half. when you shoot it straight up in the sky, I'm going to Right, like, but that doesn't, I mean, yeah, it wasn't the best, like, outcome, but that was definitely the best chance. Like, anybody who's yeah. better at hitting the ball buries that. Yeah, he was in. And then, you know, the second half, it was, like, very flipped. It was, you know, about two for Spurs and, like, point three for Man U. You know, we, we flipped the script, and I think we're some combination of lucky and a good Vicario performance away from going into halftime in a very unfortunate position. But... I think, you know, the game's played on the pitch and they didn't score those goals, so I don't fucking care. And the reality is, is we respond to it and adjusted to it very well and we took them apart. Brian, what was your impression of the game? Yeah, I mean, I think aside from kind of some early individual errors, like you touched on Pedro Porro, I mean, uh, Van de Ven looked a little shaky in the first like 10, 15 minutes. Um, you know, other than that kind of stretch, and uh, I, I thought we were pretty much on top for most of the game. I thought, you know, our set piece defending still looks a little suspect. Um, and so so that's, like, very concerning to me. Um, but I, I thought there were so many good performances from all the Spurs players. Like, I, you know, even with... Van de Ven looking shaky initially, Poro looking shaky initially. Both of them turned around and had, you know, good 
matches on the whole. I, and, you know, aside from Richarlison, nobody really was bad or, or or not even bad, but like not good. Everybody else was, you know, six out of 10, seven out of 10, eight out of 10 type of thing. Like I thought it was, it's encouraging. And I, I mean, I guess it would be more encouraging if United hadn't looked like such shit against Wolves the week before. But I mean, look, you know, beating Manchester United is not something that Spurs do all the time. And, you know, so getting a point against another rival for or getting three points against um, uh, uh, a rival for the top six or the top four or whatever, like that's big. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how we could be anything other than happy about the whole thing. And I think it's worth pointing out, you know, I, I've sort of beat this horse before on this podcast, but, you know, like we're, I think we would all be very readily to praise Onana and, um, you know, for, he's so good. He's, he's very I'm, good. No, no, no. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to take inside him. anything away from him. And he like, I thought he did an outstanding job taking a goal away from SAR in the first, not taking it, but defending the goal against SAR in the first half. And, you know, probably a worse keeper concedes another goal in this match. But like, I think we also need to remember like Vicario did a great job and that's not like a detriment, right? Like that's why you have a good keeper. That's why you go out and get these guys. And, you know, I, I think it's a really good, I thought it was a really good performance all around. I think, like you said, Brian, it's, it was really impressive. I think Van de Ven to focus on him for just a second, you know, that was a guy who I don't think he played poorly, but I think he definitely had a welcome to the Premier League type game where, you know, I don't think Rashford was particularly great, but Rashford, you know, it's he's fast and Van de Ven had to get used to that really quick. And I don't think he played poorly, but he was clearly this looked like a game where he was learning what it looks like to play against some of these some of the people who play in this league. And I thought at the end of the day, for a guy who's as young as he is for his second game in England, you know, and in his second season in a top five league in Europe, I thought he acquitted himself fairly well. Uh, Vicario also, I think, did a great job. I think he made some really good saves. He made two saves that didn't count because guys were off sides, but they were still pretty extraordinary. I, I thought we played really well. And, you know, we really did ride our, uh, we really rode some performances in the first half to see it out, but they were, man, we were just, we were really good in this game. And I think it's really important for uh, Postacoglu to, you know, have a performance like this early on. Like, as, like you, Ben, you were saying, you know, I don't know how we rate this performance after the game United had against Wolves, but it feels real good to beat Man United um, no matter what. And, you know, they, they finished top four last year. So, I mean, to do this, to have a performance that was this coherent, even though I think there's clearly things to work on, especially with the front line, in his second match against a team this big, in a game where considering everything sort of floating around the club, it could have gotten sour in a hurry. But, you know, this was a really impressive performance. I don't just mean the win. I mean, like you could hear the crowd just get excited in the first half. There was a play where I think Basumo very early on was pinned in, penned in, in his own box and he dribbled out and the crowd, you could hear the crowd go nuts. And, you know, I, I think, I always assume we're in our own little online bubble, but to see the crowd really respond to the way we played, I think I'm never going to be as dismissive of having a manager who plays good football as maybe I've been in the past after watching this. Like, like I think it makes a real difference for this team and this club. Yeah. I think, you know, the vibes FC aspect of where we are right now is, 
is really, really important. And I think I'm really glad that the game on balance shook out the way it did. Because, you know, it, it could have gone worse for us. And in, <laughs> under previous managers, we've seen a lot of games like this go very badly for us. Uh, I think at this stage in Andrew's tenure to have a game that flowed the way it did where we were under the cosh a bit and then weathered that storm and then came out fucking swinging. Um, you know, it, it, it's really, really important right now to have the fans behind the coach and everyone feeling good about what's happening on the pitch. Um, and, you know, like even if I'm going to take issue with like the overall 90 minutes of the performance, um, I think it's really important that we were able to win the way we did because it's going to buy the kind of goodwill that's going to get us through the next few weeks and next few months as we are still learning the system and everyone is kind of coming to grips with, you know, how Ange wants to play. Um, it's nice to see that there's already that amount of buy-in from the, the, the match going fans. Um, and, and they are excited about just the way we approach the game. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, playing good football is a huge part of this. Like, um, you know, we've all seen the 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 image from uh, BBC that was going around the Internet about, you know, the, the number of passes in the opposition box. And Angers is like after two games, you know, 370 or it's, it's uh, passes in the opponent's half. And then, you know, Antonio Conte is like 240 something like we're just controlling the ball. We're controlling play We're, you know, it and in this game, especially like while United had some chances, once we went ahead, it never really felt like we were holding on for dear life or that this was going to, you know, get taken away from us like so many games over the past few seasons have been like we scored with our one attack and then we just had to hold on and, and just pray that they didn't score. Cause there was no way we were going to score a second goal. And it didn't feel like that this game. And, you know, we scored, we scored the first and it was like, yeah, maybe we could score three more, maybe we score four more. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that, that goes a long way to buying goodwill with the fans. It certainly makes my experience as a non-match going fan, you know, much better. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we kept overall, pushing. Like, it's just been and a, a really fun start to the season. Like the way we kept pushing and not only like kept on the front foot and kept in control of the game and pushing, whatever we were not giving up dangerous chances on the counter the way we, like we have you know, in the past, it was just, one-way traffic for Spurs and to do that with a lead confidently and just say, we're going to keep playing. We want more goals. We're not resting on one goal lead is such a sea change from the last three or four years that it's kind of miraculous to get to watch that. I'll, I'll tell you what's really struck me in these two games in the periods of our dominance, you know, we're not only holding the ball in their half, we're, we're creating a chance and then we're recycling possession and creating more chances. And we're not, like, letting them take a crack at us, like you were saying, Brian. And I, 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 I know that sounds simple. And, 
you know, like, but God, I feel like I have to go back to Pochettino where it's like, it's not just like, well, if we don't, if Son or Kane doesn't score on their one breakaway, then like, you know, the ball's back at the other end of the pitch. Like, you know, we're recycling possession. We're creating more chance. Now these aren't, you know, I think the front line could stand to be a little more incisive, but you know, the fact that we're just, we're, you know, we just keep going, we're, we're, we're going after them again and again and again. And it's, you know, I think against these bunker defenses, I think both weeks you've seen goals come out of like the fact that, you know, I remember we were having a conversation years ago about Conte conceding all these low percentage chances. And Ben would say like, well, the problem with that is if you keep conceding low percentage chances, one of them is just going to go in eventually. And I don't think all of our chances are super low percentage, but you could see that with, you know, the Parasitch goal this week. You could see it with, or the own goal, whatever. Um, but you can see that. Davies. Yeah. The Ben Davies goal this week. Uh, and you could see it with uh, Emerson's goal last week, where both goals, I think, were really the product of not just sustained possession, but sustained pressure. And just like, you know, just sooner or later, you just let a team camp in your half and take shots at goal. They're going to score eventually. Um, and, you know, we, we have to work on that a little bit. But I, I'm impressed that we're doing that. I'm impressed we're doing everything that Angel wants us to do so quickly. Um, you know, I think it's far from a finished product, but that he's got us drilled this way after we played just the hospital ball for the last two years or four years is really impressive stuff. Uh, it's very impressive. And I think I, I want to focus on some of the performances, but I think one of the things that impress, impressed me the most is we've got some very young players in this team, players who I don't think any of us would blame for being beaten down by their experience under Antonio Conte. And in particular, a guy like uh, Pop Montesar, he, God, he was what a performance. I mean, I feel like we see performances out of some of our young midfielders in particular, but young players where you're like, oh, that's interesting, but I don't know if they can build on it. I mean, this was, God, that was great. I mean, not just the goal. The goal was incredible, but I mean, he was all over the place and playing like really aggressively against a pretty good team in a way, like, like I said, for a guy who could understandably be beaten down after a few years under Antonio Conte, like, I mean, he looked really, really good against United this weekend. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been banging the the SAR drum for the last, like, season and a half or so. And it's just like, you know, every time he has played before this, he's looked good. I mean, he conceded the penalty in the Arsenal game last year. Um, but, like, that was... That was not bullshit. really his yeah. fault. Like, you know, and then he had the game in the Champions League against Milan that he was absolutely in charge of. Like, he's he's not some academy kid, you know? He's not Alfie Devine, Harvey White, you know. He's a guy that played real first-team minutes for Mets. And we can talk about, you know, how good Ligue 1 is as a league, but, like, he's playing against... PSG, he's playing against Monaco, Marseille, you know, these are these are actual real teams that are, you know, competing in Europe. And and he showed that he has the the requisite skill level to be a regular Premier League player. And, you know, I, like Oliver Skip's fine. He's a good he's he's like a good order follower. You know, he just, just he'll go out there and he'll do the things and he's not I just don't think he's really capable of anything, you know, special or whatever. And 
I not to say that uh, SARS deflected goal was super special, but like you see all the stuff he does, like the 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 movement he puts in, like he's taking up positions at right back. He's making the runs into the box like, you know, even to score that goal, like he makes the pass initially out wide and, and then busts his ass 40 yards to get into the box to get on the end of of that cross. And it's just like, you know, no one else on the team does that. And he certainly wouldn't have been able to do that under Antonio Conte. He's just, he's so good. He's such a well-rounded midfielder and he's like 21 years old. And, you know, we've, we've kind of forgotten about him and why we were so excited about him when we bought him. And I really think that this is going to be a year for him to like showcase his talent. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy that we bought him and treated him like, yeah, like like Alfie Devine, like a guy we got from Wiggins Academy, and we're like, oh, we'll figure him out later, and not like a guy who was a ready-made player who just happened to be young. Um, and I'm glad that he was so young because he still has plenty of time to do it for Spurs. Um, but, you know, we talked last week about the difference he made when he came on for skip and the way that he played that role in that kind of box to box eight, um, where skip seemed to struggle with everything besides getting into the box to try and find opportunities to score. He didn't seem to understand the positioning and, and how to support Kulishevsky or his fullback or move into space to receive passes from Basuma and, Sar in like 15, 20 minutes did so much of that. Um, and I really appreciate that Conte, or God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, We're all so I, broken. I'm so How damaged. dare you? I'm so How dare you? That Big Ange recognized in those limited minutes that that was a better fit for this role than Oliver Skip. And then you saw him deploy those same skills over 90 minutes. And, you know, the positions he took up, the ground he covered, the, I mean, the passing and defensive work rate, and obviously the goal he scored. And, you know, even before the goal he scored, he, he had that, that great chance that, that Sun created for him on the opposite side of his pitch um, from where, like, you know, he's supposed to be that he he broke into the box and had a really great opportunity that, that Onana happened to save. And would have had um, a great follow-up if the de- that defender hadn't been taking his legs out either. Yeah. But I, I think he gave us so much in in every phase of the game that I hope I hope we never see Oliver skip again. Jeez. You know, I think he he's just that guy. He's what, what you guys sort of alluded to it, but the ground he covered, and then sort of at the end of that, all that running that he always looked, whether it was a defensive action, whether it was a pass, whether it was that shot, he always looked so composed at the end of it. It really was, you know, he's making these lung busting sprints and he's ready to do what he's got to do at the end of it. And he didn't look rushed or hurried. It was just for a 20 year old. I mean, I think he's still 20. He's not 21 yet, but um, he's still 20. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's just God for especially for another guy who's been so beaten down by Conte. It was just 
it was incredible and against a pretty, you know, at least like, you know, maybe it's just the shambling corpse of Casemiro, but it's still Casemiro. Uh, you know, he's doing this against some of those players. which was just very, very impressive stuff. What was interesting on the on the American broadcast of the game, the announcers kind of kept referring to him as like a defensive midfielder or a destroyer. And I was like, well, for, that's not really what's happening here. Well, he's um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was like he's he's from Senegal and he plays in midfield, so we've got a specific he looks stereotype. Like he's really good at Super Smash Brothers. Can we not call him a destroyer? <laughs> yeah, no, I I just think like for me it wasn't even just the the defensive actions and you know the athleticism and space covering stuff, but it was just like just the little things that he was doing in possession to show for the ball, to make himself available to receive a pass that we weren't getting from Skip. Like Skip, who is someone who is renowned for being a sponge for tactical stuff and who is good at, you know, understanding the game. Like he just couldn't get himself in a position to receive a pass from the midfielders or from the wingers, the fullbacks. And Saar just did that. Like he, he was him and, Pedro Porro were not getting in each other's way in the same way that Emerson and Skip did in that first game. And that we, we talked about last week that like, oh, maybe that was why Kulisevsky didn't look so good, blah, 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 blah. And then magically this week, he's got functioning fullback, functioning midfielder on that side of the field. And Kulisevsky looks a lot better. Um, so I, I think, you know, for me, it was that sort of stuff. It was it was him understanding where he needed to be in possession, not just crashing the box, but like popping up in useful places, getting the ball to the right person, that sort of stuff. That was what was really impressive for me. And that is looks like something that you can take and you can project forward now and say like, okay, if he develops, you know, more end product, he develops, you know, he's a, he gets a little stronger and he can break up play a little more, like whatever the case may be, he just has a really good skill set. I'll tell you, Brian, if he can finish like that, I'm not too worried about his end product. That was a hell of a goal. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it felt like it was going to take something a little special to, to get past uh, Onana with the way he was playing. And, man, like, just putting that in the roof of the net, was it was such a good finish. And then just, I don't know, it's like, like we, we talk about Vibes FC, but seeing someone that happy and that excited to score that goal, I, I think it really... It was a real symbiosis of like the fans and the team and how everyone was feeling. It was so exciting to see. I, I don't. I this this two weeks have been so so fun and we deserve it so much. After especially us, uh, the podcasters, uh, God's strongest soldiers. Uh, after the shit we've had to talk about every week since we won the Champions League final. I mean, this has been such a ref- just so if, refreshing. If only we'd won the Champions League final. Yeah, we I would have talked I would about be that. So bitter. I wouldn't be so bitter about all the other shit if we'd done that. Um, but yeah, it's just you know to see a team play this way, score goals like that, see players excited. Like, I mean, like the whole thing was so wholesome, and it was just so easy to feel good for that guy. And you know, I, I don't know. I loved it. It was it was great. What a goal! Yeah, I, I mean, even beyond the goal, like he took five shots inside the box for you know a defensive midfielder uh that's (laughs) that's a lot of good shot volume that you know is really important under Angie's system like to have those eights making those runs in the box and getting those chances and whatever and like you know we saw skip score two goals against barcelona in preseason and we're like all right well 
that's what he wants that guy to do. Maybe that's the guy to do it. And, you know, in, in a real game, not only did he not do it, but he couldn't do anything else. And to see Star do everything else and also be our shot leader on the day for by like some distance and not just number of shots, but the quality of shots in the spaces that he was getting in was just revelatory. And I, and I hate to like, I don't mean to like dog on skip, but like, that's a direct comparison, right? It's like, th- these are the two guys that are competing for this spot until Ben yeah. comes back. And it was just night and day. And what that performance looks like. It and, was so good. I think I think against the worst keeper, he scores another one. To be one hundred percent frank with you, like I, I think he was unlucky. Uh, unlucky is the wrong word, but you know, like I said, I think unfortunate. A worst keeper, yeah, a worst keeper doesn't stop doesn't stop some of those shots he put on. Um, I want to talk about another uh, boy who deserves a little credit. I want to talk about Pedro Poro, a man who some of our friends were talking about. Like, if you put him in a back four, it's going to be a complete and total catastrophe. I thought he looked great. I thought Pedro Poro, or at least great compared to expectations. I thought Pedro Poro looked very good in this game. I thought, I thought if your question was, can Pedro Poro play in a back four? I think the answer is absolutely. I, I think he was far and above a lot of our de- defensive expectations in this role. And, you know, he was giving us all that shit he does given forward going forward that Emerson kind of doesn't. So, uh, I was very happy with his performance. Like, if he can give us that kind of defensive performance in general, and also that passing and forward momentum that he can provide, like, you know, I, I, I am not adverse to just trying him out in the back four because I think, you know, the reason not to put him in there is he's a liability, and I don't think he was a big enough liability on the day to justify excluding him. I mean, look, he did get cooked a couple times. Um, and he, he was out of position, had some bad giveaways. Um, Who's like among two, us? Yeah. I mean, he had, look, he had, he had two bad giveaways early and, you know, th- they didn't come to anything occasion and like maybe those do, you know, bite us in the ass down the road. But I think, I think you kind of can forgive that a little bit based on what he does attacking. And I think that's a lot of how Angus like style and system works is like, you know, you rely on the center backs and the number six to do a lot of defending and a lot of breaking up play. And the fullbacks can sometimes give the ball away because you're, (laughs) you're asking them to play in midfield or you're asking them to receive the ball under pressure and so that happens. And so you just kind of expect a little bit of that. But like you said, Greg, like, you know, the attacking contribution he gives us is significant. And I know Emerson scored a goal and I like Emerson Royale. I think he's fun. I think he's great for Vibes FC. But like Poro is like actually a, a plus attacker. And and we I think we need that. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because, like you said, Royale did score the goal last week, and Pedro Poro, all he managed to do was hit the crossbar. So, like, who's really the good attacker here? Right, um, exactly. <laughs> but I think, you know, for Emerson, he's the guy who's supposed to be the safe and conservative fullback of the of the two, and. He was getting cooked all day against Brentford. I mean, you know, he made Rico Henry look like 
Roberto Carlos on that like left fullback spot, just bursting into space past him all day, creating chances, whatever. Um, he was not defensively robust by any means. Um, and honestly, his cameo in this match was not very good at all. Um, but I think one of the stories about like how we turned this game around was particularly the relationship between Pedro Poro and, and Sar and how they covered for each other's movements and how they occupied each other's space and protected each other. Um, in that second half, you had Sar taking up a lot more space in those fullback zones when Pedro Poro, I don't know why he's a guy you can only say both of his names, but like he just is. Like he's he is, that, yes. He just is. It's it's on uh, his jersey that way. Like we have to call him that. Yeah, it's just his name. It's about um, it's about respecting his culture. But like the flip of that was Poro understood when to be a more reserved fullback when Sar was going gung ho into the box. And like that relationship improved so clearly over the course of the match in a way that was very productive on both ends of the pitch. Like I think Poro got cooked and gave away the ball and build up like his biggest weakness is passing out of the back. Like we've seen this time and time again, he just can't seem to do it well. But in the second half, there was none of that. And he was covering back yes. on Garnacho on Rashford constantly. And he is a little pacey, uh, and, and, and was capable of keeping up with them and shouldering them off the ball and using some physicality with his little spark plug, low center of gravity. Like he wasn't just a non-entity in defense and just giving us offensive upside. Like he was good on both yep. ends of the ball. And, you know, I think Sar allowed him to kind of do that, but he did it in those constraints of like how, you know, how, how we were set up and, and, I, I'm very optimistic that you know I, that's a partnership that's going to look good going forward. I think we've had psychopaths who want fully formed players like brought into this team for so long that we've forgotten that like maybe a coach could improve someone on this team. And I think maybe you're seeing that with Pedro Poro because, like you said, Ben, he grew into the match and. You know, yeah, he had some miscues early on, but, you know, it's his first start of the season. It's against, you know, whatever else you think about United. They have some dangerous attackers. And going down the stretch, I don't know, I was impressed. Like, I, I'm I'm probably about as big a Marcus Rashford skeptic as you'll get outside of the Tory party. But, you know, I think what he did against him in terms of, like, you know, what we've the problems we've seen out of Pedro Poirot in the past, that he was able to go shoulder to shoulder knock him off the ball, keep him from being a threat as the match went on. I thought it was impressive work. And, you know, he's always probably going to have those miscues in his locker, but I, I can't imagine you watching this performance and not being at least a little encouraged. You know, maybe it's not the long-term solution, but I think Poro is such a, or pa sorry, Pedro Poro is such a dynamic player that it, it'd be foolish not to work on his defense and see what you get out of it um because what he offers going forward is so so good like those passes he made you know up to Kulishevsky in particular were so good and then he is a fullback where if he can get loose in the final third you know I mean United was incredibly lucky his volley didn't go in you know didn't go in the net uh, when it hit the crossbar so 
I'm very happy with Pedro Porro. Uh, moving on to another. I do uh, just one last thing. Sorry, Ben. Sorry, Ben. I think it's ahead. an interesting swing that Ange took to start him in the first place. Like we we're all pretty pleased with Emerson's performance against Brentford. Yep. He seemed like he was going to be the starter for the season, and you know, against Man U is not the match I would have expected him to give Porro Pedro Porro his shot and SAR too. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I think, I think there were good reasons from the Brentford match to make that change. I don't think it was an obvious switch to change Emerson for Poro and good, good for Ange for making that happen because I think we've seen a lot more scared kind of treatment of our squad as a whole. Um, from managers very recently and not willing to just give someone a chance based on very little and say, yeah, let's see how you can cook. Um, and he did it. And I think it, it paid off very well. And not to steal, you know, Greg wanting to transition away from this, uh, you know, not to take this away from you, but like, I think it's interesting that we are devoting so much of our time talking about the performances of the right backs when the left back destiny udagi has been absolutely incredible these he's first great. two games well, he's there's 20- no controversy around well yeah but like, that's right he's starting. he's 20 years he's 20 years old he's played you know these are his first two games in the premier league and he, you're like yeah, no, he's really good. He's going to play there all the time. Yeah, no I question was, whatever about Udagi. Like, he's yeah. just the guy. He's just, the, like, yeah. the vaguely racist coverage of him definitely colored my impression of him. But, like, everyone was like, oh, he's just a fullback who goes for it. No, no, he's a real fullback. Like, he defends. He's, I mean, like, you know, he's got stuff to work on. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I mean, he, not only does he, like, really good going forward, there is a, there is a, play in this match where he was dribbling through like the entire United midfield that was very impressive but like when it comes to defense like I mean he's a man like I mean he is a big boy he he is like very physically impressive very technically impressive he is uh, man I, we were undersold what, what kind of a player we were getting in him and I think we all owe uh, the Don Fabio an apology because good lord he is he is the total package yeah, I mean, I won't pretend to have watched a lot of, you know, Unese over the last two seasons, but um, How dare you? yeah, I know I, he's he's just really, really good. And, you know, we talked about him like he was this, you know, fullback that stays wide and then cuts inside and occasionally gets a shot off. But he's been playing this inverted fullback, stepping into midfield, you know, linking play. He's been playing that role so well and I, I i it is incredibly different than what he was being asked to do in italy and he's just seems like such a good footballer that he's just like yeah okay we'll do this i, I yeah, want to talk, talk about his play in a second ben but i do want to take a moment to thank him for having a name that tracks for an American speaker who can't get any names right like me. Like it is exactly the awful pronunciation that I would have applied to it. Like it is, it's not Udoji or something. It's, no, it's Udogi. Like, yeah, he sounds like he plays on the offensive line for Georgia. Like, you know, it's, I, I just want to thank him for that. For once, I'm not mangling a name. C- continue, Ben. Yeah. Big hit from Udogi. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, no, to, to what Brian said, like, the thing that has impressed me the most is just how naturally he's taken to the Ange fullback role. Like, above and beyond his performances and the things, like, he just gets it. Like, he is always in the right positions. He is covering his fullback zone in transition. He is moving into midfield with confidence, and he is breaking through the lines to support the attack as he needs to. He moves wide to support Suns cutting inside as necessary. It is all just so effortless looking that like, I cannot believe he is two games into his Spurs career. He looks like just as much, if not more than anybody, maybe Basuma is just like a natural at, at what this team is trying to do. And I, I have, so much love for him right now which it really makes you wonder how it was that like and i guess to greg's point about paratici like how was it that we were the ones that identified the dog this guy for no money for nothing he made him an offer they they refuse hey forget about it um i mean but that's the thing with both him and sar is like you know these were young guys that were playing top flight football in actual competitive leagues and we were like yeah, well, if this works out, great. And if it doesn't, we can probably sell them for the same amount of money, you know, uh, in a few years. Like, you know, in the same way that we took a flyer on Brian Heal. Like these well, two what just. What Brian Heal thrives in the edge system? Like, I mean, you know, whatever. Maybe he does. But like, you know, probably not. But, you know, <laughs> if you took three shots and two of them, two of them pan out and, and, and pan out as well as these two have looked, you know, so far this year. Uh, I'll take it. Like we can waste 25 or 30 on a Brian heel. And you know, if we get a couple of Udogis and, and SARS, I'll tell you something that really impressed me about Udogi in this match. Um, was, you know, I thought son was not as involved in play as they wanted him to be in the first half. And I think one of the ways that they brought son into the game in the second half, and I think it worked was like, we're going to bring Udogi up. And you're going to start playing in triangles with him and Madison and whoever is up there. And they had him start playing more passes and, inter- and interchanging with Son. And, you know, you can see some rust there. Not rust isn't the wrong word. But, like, you know, they haven't figured it all out. But I thought he acquitted himself really well in that situation where it's like, oh, we're going to use you to bring the team captain more into this game in an offensive capacity. And, it, you know, I thought he did really well. I think – I, I I can't say enough good things about Udogi. He's been, you know, and I think as a left back, the fact that, like you were saying, Brian, we haven't talked about him a ton is is probably not a better compliment you can offer a defender than we don't have a ton to say about you because you're shutting everyone down and you're not causing problems over there. But I mean, we should be talking about him more because he is yes. really good. No, and but he is doing well. a, at every end of the pitch. He's doing a yeah. great job, and it's really. You know, like, you know, I want to thank on his, on his daughter's wedding day, the Don Fabio, for what he did to bring him into bring uh, Udogi into this club. Uh, how do we think about our wingers in this match? Uh, I thought Son and Kulishevsky were improved from what we saw in Brentford, even though I think there's a little ways to go there. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it was better. I, I think. Go ahead. No, I mean, if uh, well, all right, I'll talk and then you can tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> um, so I thought it was better. I think, you know, they're still not doing the stuff to get the ball into the box to, 
you know, Richarlison or whoever's playing there uh, in 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 the volume that I think Ange would like. Um, I thought I thought definitely Kulisevsky was much better in this game. I thought he was significantly more involved um, and his positioning was better. Um, Sun was. I thought Sun was just okay. Um, uh, but you know, I, and then he played through the middle and he was, he was a little better then, but yeah, I think that's still my main area of concern is, is how, how are these guys going to, going to work out filling these specific roles? Uh, I'm much more worried about Richarlison than I am about our wingers after this match, frankly. I, I'm not worried about Richarlison. I, I'm worried about the ringer, the, the wingers. Ben, yeah. what are you worried about? We got to stay on brand here. Yeah, so I, I think it's hard to separate the way the wingers play and the way Richarlison does or does not get involved in games. And I think, you know, I think Brian's right that we're still not seeing the wingers break guys off on the dribble out wide and create the kinds of chances we've seen and, you know, uh, Celtic highlights in the way that Ange's system should be working with those wingers. Um, but I thought, it's funny, I thought Kulishevsky was good in the second half of the first match against Brentford and was not so great in this match. And I thought Sun was extremely poor in the first match and very much improved this match. So uh, I know, Greg, you thought Sun was really good in the, in the first game. So we seem to have a very different... in this game. I thought, I thought Sun was fine in the first game. I thought Sun was... I think it's interesting because you think of Sun as you know, traditionally, because we've been a sort of counter-attacking team for so long, he starts deep and works his way up when we're not playing that way anymore. And Son's not the kind of guy who's going to stand his man up and just dribble past him. So I think working him into sort of passing patterns, which is not something that lots of our other managers have tried to do with Son, um, but I think it worked. I I think you can start to see the shape of how we're going to use Son in this match. Uh, And I I, I don't know. I was encouraged by it. I'm I'm not terribly worried about Son. Yeah, I thought Sun was able to cre- – I mean, he created uh, four chances in the match, which is pretty pretty good. And two of them in the first half, were, which were probably the be- the best chances of that half. Uh, I mean, that, that chance he created for Saar was, was very impressive in the way that, you know, we're used to seeing Sun kind of like come across the box and just like – hoof a shot from 20 yards out and try to curl it in the top corner. And, you know, I think it's against his instincts to make that move and then thread a through ball into an on running, you know, midfielder. But he seemed to be understanding that that is more of what is expected of him. And he did that several times. Did it for Pedro Porro too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very effective the way he came across and then, and, you know, move the ball to somebody else in a better position to shoot. Uh, and also had his own chances. You know, he had that, that back heel from Basuma, that back heel nutmeg from Basuma uh, that set him up. I was so dirty. Um, you know, I, I, I thought he managed to get himself a lot more involved throughout the match and in, in, in various phases of play in a way that was encouraging. But it is still not maybe necessarily what we want from from these wingers and 
you know, I think Richarlison's total absence from the match is, you know, you can't not blame Richarlison for that, but it was not, it was not an ideal scenario. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, when we talked about this last week, the feeling was that in a more open game, he would have the space to get on the end of things and like actually take chances and, and find space for shots. And that just didn't happen. And on some level, it is the way we created from the wings. We weren't able to create those kind of like deep penetrations to cut back and find him. Um, So I don't think it's an accident that most of our good chances came from the midfielders, you know, moving into those spaces. Um, but it is it is very concerning that he is such a non-entity. Um, yeah, it, it does feel like a combination of he's not creating enough for himself and he's maybe not being highlighted in this system. We're playing Bournemouth this weekend. I haven't watched a ton of them this year. I don't know if they're good with, you know, their, their beautiful Basque coach now, but... Um, I would like us to see a split. I would like to see Richarlson against a real dog shit team before I totally write him off. I, I can't shake the feeling. And this is me. I was joking about United fans telling themselves stories like we were last year earlier. But like probably the lie I'm telling myself the most is I, w- I would just like to see. I feel like if Richarlson can just have a ball, a goal or two fall to him, it's going to make a difference. But that's probably just a lie i'm telling myself i don't think he's been particularly good in these two games even though i feel like he's been useful um i think he's been running those back lines ragged and i think there is value in that but you know i, I don't need Richarlson to score harry kane amounts of goals but i do need him to score in the double digits probably so yeah let's get um, some nasser chadley amounts of goals yeah yeah i mean I look mean, if he if he somehow manages 12 to 15 goals this year I think that's enough. That's a huge success. That's a huge success. I'm like, not saying we don't replace him later, but that's yeah, a huge success. we're chipping it all over the pitch, right? It's fine. Yeah, because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look, you're if you're getting goals from Saar, presumably from Madison, um, you know, if, you're, if your wingers chip in a couple, or, you know, Sun is, Sun is somehow going to find his way to, you know, 10 goals, even if he's bad. Like, you know, I, there's, there's ways that this works. And... You know, if we're if we're even marginally more solid at the back, it's it'll be fine. You know, so I I think. While I would like us to bring in someone like, you know, Gift Orban or, you know, uh, uh, any striker of of, you know, notoriety, um, I I don't know that we need to. I I, I I'm, I'm still in the position where I think like signing up a. a an actual superstar winger would be more beneficial yeah, to us I agree with you. than signing a 60 million pound striker. I feel like the striker is the last piece as opposed to the piece right now. I mean, obviously you get a 20 goal striker that's, you know, worth its weight in gold no matter when, but you know, right now I feel like you're building the system. I, I want to move I on think... to go ahead. Sorry, Ben, let's not move on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I keep doing that. Right, uh, no, he has, I think he has right. opinions. He needs to be able to say them. Right. Stop trying to stifle him, Craig. Why yeah. do I have a podcast if I can't just yell about shit into the void? I keep trying to cancel him, but, uh, you know, they won't let me. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think you know, we talk about so much of Charleston's struggles. 
feel like a product of the way the wingers orbit around him that you have to hope that a better winger will create the kind of chances that Richarlison can score. And keeping these same wide players with a new striker, you may have a guy who's maybe better suited to creating for himself and whatever, but you're still lacking the the creation engine that we are looking for. Um, I think it's interesting that we saw 20 minutes of Sun playing striker at the end of this game, and he acquitted himself pretty well. And, you know, I think it's not unreasonable to expect next week Sun getting that that it's, it's, and it's also worth Perisic starting on the left wing. I would really, I, I think, I think Richarlson deserves to have Solomon or depe- depending on the time of the match, Perisic with him up top. Cause I think the devil's advocate for what you're saying about son is like Richarlson ran those boys ragged for like 70 minutes. And, you know, I'm not sure how son does if they, if they're on fresh legs. So I mean, I don't know. Like, it's a problem I mean, we're going to have to resolve at some point. Either we're going to have to figure it out with Charleston or we're going to have to buy someone else. But, like, we got to – it's got to change to some degree. I mean, I guess if we buy a superstar winger, I can't see our newly anointed captain being the guy to hit the bench before no. the invisible with Charleston. So yes. I am curious to see what Sun can do in that number nine position with Parasit or Solomon on, on the left – giving us a little more of that dribbly down the touchline, get across and, you know, square the ball past the defense kind of, um, kind of shot creation. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see that in this, in no. this match or, or in the cup game coming up. Uh, I want to talk about two guys who I don't think any Spurs fans underrate, but I think we've, like in two matches, we've gotten accustomed to some excellence from them, and it's worth recognizing, which is James Madison and uh, Eves Basuma. Man, Basuma is fucking great. I think that guy's like on the fast track for like Spurs fans talk about him like Dembele status. I mean, he is so goddamn good. Like, like I, I heard. Someone, I can't remember what, where I was listening to this, but they were talking about like, oh God, what happens if Basuma's injured? It's like we're like two matches into the season and we're already talking about it this way. He is incredible. And when you look at like, you know, the money Chelsea's throwing at Caicedo to like, you know, concede penalties to West Ham, like it's hard not thinking we didn't get a bargain for Basuma. And you know, Antonio Conte, like God, you like, you know, someone someone needs to like take him to a CIA black site and interrogate him as to like what he thought he was doing with Basuma. Cause you look at how he's played this year. It's just, it's incredible. And I, I don't know. And on top of all that, he's doing all the, like the performative shit. I want to see a player do on the field. Like he's pumping up the fans. He's pointing at the badge. He's, you know, it's, it's just, it's God, it's everything I want out of a, out of a player for Spurs right now. I really love the, uh, the arm sleeve. Yes. Like he's like, peak Allen Iverson. Uh, it's great. I love that. Um, I don't I think, I think you're right, Greg, like the, the signing of him looking back, like, yeah, there were the questions about, um, you know, his legal proceedings at the time, which were resolved and I, we never really got answers about him, but you know, well, they've been resolved. The story. Yeah. You know. Um, and we signed him for what? 30, 35 million. 
and you know now 25 yeah it was like 28 or something maybe all right you know so it was nothing especially the way the dm market is this summer it's like yeah that was my point is like you know declan rice um caicedo um you know all these clubs have paid big big money for various defensive midfielders and we got one who's as good if not better than most of them for you know a third of the cost a quarter of the cost like I mean, it's great. And like Greg said, like the fact that we didn't get to see this version of him last year or, you know, the fact that, you know, he was stifled to such an extent that he wasn't able to do these things um, is crazy because this was the exact type of midfield play that we needed so often last year. Someone calm under pressure, someone who would receive a ball um, you know, uh, facing defense and then be able to turn and move it upfield and start an attack. And he just, it, he does it all so smoothly, so effortlessly. Like it, it's, it's very reminiscent of watching like Dembele play, uh, in the way that he moves around the pitch sometimes. And I, you know, I, I've really, really enjoyed seeing him flourish. I am astonished by how good he is. And this is, I say this as a lifelong Brighton fan. Yeah, you're a <laughs> Graham Potter apologist. You're, like, you're, you're a I, guidance counselor OG. Like, Yeah, when I, when I feel bad about Spurs, I watch Brighton as like my like second team. I know that whatever, but like they have been very fun and we have been very shitty and... I went to Brighton a few years ago, but like I have enjoyed watching that team and I watched Basuma a lot for that team. And I am still staggered by. He wasn't this good. Not just how good he is. He wasn't this good at Brighton. But like how audaciously good he is. Like, I'm sorry, but like that fucking like backheel nutmeg in Man U's box is like, that was like a Dombele shit that like, is also paired with like good play everywhere else um, and showing up on time for meetings. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like he <laughs> had not possession of like six big Macs or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's, mean, he's got possession of six midfielders, not six big Macs. He's yeah. got six big Macs that he brought for everybody else on the team. Cause he's that <laughs> nice of a guy. And then he's going to take him off of you later. Like, I am just, you know, I, I remember, you know, looking at him as an interesting prospect before he went to Brighton and being like, yeah, he's got good defensive action numbers, whatever, and this could be a, a fit. But, like, I, I, I just can't believe how cool and composed and saucy and dynamic he is at everything he does like it is i i i feel weird being in love with a defensive midfielder like that's even more boring than being like into a center back like when christian romero came up i was like oh yeah that that's what i want a center back to be but like <laughs> i am like over the moon with what a 
Eve Basuma is doing in this midfield. It took it took Pochettino a year to figure out what to do with Dembele. It took like big hands, like two weeks to figure out like, oh yeah, like like go go dominate the other teams, King. Like, you know, he's already figured out what to do with Basuma. Just like you said, the sauce is incredible. Like he has really unleashed him in an offensive capacity. I know Graham Potter is a terrorist. He plays boring football, but it's still incredible. Like what and just sort of unlocked with Basuma. Cause I don't feel like he was given this kind of, I mean, I mean you, again, Brighton's your second team, Ben. I don't feel like he was given this kind of license to go forward at Brighton. And it's just, it's really impressive to watch. Cause it's that ability to go forward and take out play, take out their players out of the play while also bringing our players into it without sacrificing any defensive solidity. It's really like, I mean, I don't want to, again, it's been two weeks. I don't want to get too, too carried away, but it's some unicorn shit. Like, I don't know a lot of guys who can do what he does. Yeah. He's the best player in the league. Like, yeah. No, no, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, he, you don't know too many guys that can do what he does and don't cost a hundred million, you know, like I think it, you know, Look, I just don't think there's that much that separates him, Caicedo, Declan Rice. Um, yeah, you know, one look, of those guys is going to win the league and they play for Tottenham Hotspur. That's, that's what right. separates. What separates is he's so fucking cool. Yes. Declan Rice is not cool. Like, well, yeah. Clear. Yeah, Declan Rice is not cool. Caicedo may be cool. I don't know. Yeah, he's not four he times cooler for Chelsea. than Chelsea. He's not Come cool. On. Come yeah, on. no, he's not four times cool. Absolutely not. I, I'll tell you, I want to use this as a good transition for the next player. Like, what I really appreciate, and I appreciate it, honestly, for, like, everyone on this team, except maybe Giovanni Lo Celso, and we'll figure that one out this weekend. Everybody looks so fucking happy to be here now. Like, it makes such a difference to have a captain who is excited to be here, who is, like, fucking pumping everybody up. James Madison, like, one of our vice captains, like... God, that guy looks like he was born to play for Spurs. I mean, this—I mean, you want to talk about a classic Spurs player? It's him. Like the shit he does with, especially a forward like Richarlison, said, who's got nothing going on right now. Like, but the stuff he's creating, the way he plays, the way he just sort of—I I don't remember watching him at Leicester, and maybe this might be on me. I don't remember him just like gliding through tackles the way he does. Like he's just—he's so smooth and saucy and just like. Better than I remember, and I thought he was a pretty good player. I was not a Madison skeptic, but he's better than I remember thinking when he was at Leicester, and I thought pretty highly of him when he was at Leicester. It's it's some real impressive shit for Madison. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching Madison highlights from Coventry when we were linked with him when he was like a child before he moved to Norwich, and being so mad we didn't pull the trigger on that move, and... I am very glad. I'm you got sad to it took two years us. later when we didn't pull it again when he was at Norwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm mad it took this long to get him here, but like, I am so happy to see him. Like, he, unlike Basuma, he is exactly who I knew he was and believed he was, and I am just over the moon with the kind of player that we've got. Like, I mean, we've been desperate for a guy like this since Erickson fizzled. Um, you know, but like, you know, if anyone has listened to this podcast, you know what a huge Erickson fan I am. And to feel like we finally have an heir to those those shoes is is just so 
so nice for like the way I enjoy watching football to have a guy like that in midfield who is, you know, a willing presser, a defensive engine who is also a just, you know, as they say, wand of a foot kind of creative player. Like it is, we've just been missing that for all of the dour years that we've had to live through. Uh, Having a guy like this is just the biggest testament to (laughs) the change of what this new version of Spurs is interested in looking like, Um, you know, to take a guy like that and immediately make him a vice captain is a real signal to, you know, not just who he is as a, as a, as a guy, but like what kind of player and what kind of style is seen as a leader in, in this version of Spurs is not just like you're, you know, like I like Hugo, but like, it's boring as shit to have a goalkeeper as your captain. I'm sorry. Unless, unless, unless it's a certain Italian who is clearly doing cocaine when everybody else is further up the pitch. Yeah, honestly. But like, you know, for your captains to be Son and Madison and Romero, who are all just like fucking wild and crazy fun guys, like, and not just like Harry Kane as a captain is like, that's a real boring guy, Captain. <laughs> this is not boring. I didn't realize how much I miss this shit. Like, it's funny, because I would have told you, yeah, I miss fun Spurs. But, like, seeing just all these guys play really exciting, fun football, who are excited to be here, who understand, you know, that. Like, I, like I, we can say what you want about, like, you know, how Spurs are run or behave off the pitch. But certainly on the pitch, they have fucking nailed it. Like, they knew exactly what we as a fan base needed after, you know, the last four years of garbage, you know, just it's been such a breath of fresh air. I mean, both the way they've played, which Ange and all the players deserve credit for, but the way they've communicated and brought the fans sort of into it and, you know, the way they all sort of understand, you know, like I've been very in in my time as a fan. And admittedly, I'm an American who's only been a fan for, you know, however many years I didn't grow up with this. But like I've been very skeptical about like, oh, well, every fan base has sort of their identity themselves in their own head, but it doesn't really matter. But like, you know, two games into this year, seeing how Ange has run things and seeing how we did it the last few years with serial winners, you know, there is a part of me who's like, oh, maybe it is the most important thing to like for Spurs fans to watch like, you know, silky, attractive football because that's who we are as a club. That's what we want as a fan base, both as, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, plastic Americans like us or, you know, like, grizzled old Dawes who have been there since, you know, Jimmy Greaves was putting balls in the back of the net. I, it, it's, it's been so exciting. It's been so refreshing. It's been so much fun. And I didn't realize how much I missed. I know that sounds dumb because everyone wants to watch attractive football, but you know, I didn't realize how much I missed it until we got it back. Yeah. And I mean, just on the Madison thing again, like Basuma, how good does that transfer look now? You know, we paid, whatever it was, 40 or 50 million pounds or whatever for him. And, you know, there's, I, I was just looking, he's the 14th most expensive signing uh, in the Premier League this this summer. And there are, on that list ahead of him, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other midfielders, you know. And it's like, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, Sandro Tonali and Romeo Lavia, like, were, you know, 65, 70 million each. Right. Havoc They're not better than him. Twice yeah, as who'd much you, who'd you take off that list? There's, there's, yeah, like, you know. I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, and, and look, I, you know, those guys are defensive midfielders. He's, he's more of an attacker. But, like, Mason Mount was... You know, seventy-ish. Like, you know, would you rather have? I mean, we saw Mason Mount again for United. He looked completely disjointed, and like they didn't really know what he and, and Bruno I, were supposed to be doing. I wouldn't pay for Mason Mount with money off of your Go Fast boat, Brian. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't. <laughs> There's a lot of money on that Go Fast. Yeah, boat, that though. should tell you how little I want Mason Mount on this team. Yeah, I just, I, I think, you know. <sighs> This summer, it's going to be interesting to look back at this this transfer window, you know, in January or at the end of this year. But, like, right now, it feels like all the kind of stuff that we've been doing this year um, is actually good. Well, like, it's, God, it's, you want to it's hard to look at, like, Van Deven, Vicario, and Madison and how they're fitting into this. And, I, and you know, I guess we signed Solomon, too, and you know, whatever. But, like, you know, it's it's hard to look at those three specifically and go, yeah, we 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 didn't sign the right guys. Like, I think on the eye test, these first two games, we did a pretty good job. I mean, Don Fabio might be up for a bit of a reconsideration if this year keeps going as well as it's been. Uh, I want to move on uh, to some questions from our listeners, which for once isn't going to be a real slog. Um, Matthew Valone. Um, yeah, just shame the listeners right before yeah, you get, we've been just doing be that. like, hey, you guys really suck. Yeah, we've been doing But that I guess we'll years. do some of your questions. Yeah, our numbers are what they are. Uh, Matthew <laughs> asks, um, how much of our love for Ange stems from him being generally awesome versus the fact that most of his predecessors were at best dour and at worst whiny ninnies who threw tantrums when they didn't get their way. Ben? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I said this when we fired Pochettino. You never want to be the guy after the guy. Like, that's an impossible situation to come into. You look at, you know, David Moyes or Emery or whatever. Like, you, you just can never be a success. And I think if we had hired Ange, even like this version of Ange, you know, four years ago, we probably would have enjoyed him, but like the breath of fresh air that he is now that we've seen what rock bottom really looks like, I think you you can't take that out of the equation. I think I, I, I think it shouldn't be underrated that Ange is doing all this while Pochettino went to Chelsea, which could be for the Spurs fans a emotionally disastrous experience, and it's not really bothering us at this moment in time. Yeah, I mean, it probably helps that they just lost to West Ham and are not looking very good, and Vibes FC is cooking. <laughs> but, yeah, I think I think Ange coming... Like, if we had hired Ange after Nuno, that would have been enough. If we had hired Ange after Jose, that would have been enough. But, like, hiring him right after Pochettino, I think would have been hard to be like, oh, it's new dad. But now we have enough distance from old dad that yeah. Well, old dad's also hanging out with a stripper buying cigarettes, so that, that yeah, doesn't. Old dad you. is embarrassing. Like he is showing up at the bars that you're at with with strippers, and you're just like, come on, man, this is sad. Like mom's at home. Like he's got a lot of money though. 
like just like pulling Honda yeah, out of like, it on, you like know. polyester suits in like 2023. So, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, Ben always said he was a fraud. So, you know, he's <laughs> right. We didn't know he was a snake, though. So, uh, yeah, Big Ange has been like, God, I, I think it's both like that guy's awesome. And also like. All those guys suck shit. I didn't. I don't think I realized how much everyone fucking hated Conte by the time he left until, like, I've seen how everyone's reacted this year. I mean, hearing Parmesan Polis uh, probably didn't hurt, like, you know, contextualizing how we all feel about him. But, you know, but then you see you see all these guys that were completely misused under these loser managers that we brought in. And Ange is, like, two games in. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make Basuma the fucking coolest guy in the Premier League. It's like. Oh, okay. Like it hurt. It helps. Whatever else he's got going on, that sure helps. Yeah, I mean, the I think he has two things going for him. One, the football is you know exactly what we as Spurs fans want to see, and then the other thing is like he's just like the most media savvy manager we've had in a long time. Like, not to say that like Jose Mourinho is media savvy, but not in the same way. Like he's not a he's fictional a human being, <laughs> not for Spurs, <laughs> right? So it's just like you know, uh, just everything he says in the press, like you know about the Harry Kane stuff, about you know, you know him talking about the the fans singing his name, like just everything he says is is so good and it's not good in like a a media trained just bland vanilla kind of thing like i feel like he's actually he's actually funny he's actually insightful in a way that we don't get out of a lot of premier league managers i think in america we're used to more managers like being you know having this kind of avuncular attitude or you know being more um, you know, open with the press or whatever. Like, you know, we're used to guys like uh, in the NBA, like Greg Popovich or Steve Kerr or, you know, whatever. And and that's kind of where Ange is. Like, he's not going to ask social questions yet, but like he's he's just so pleasant. He, like, even when a guy is shitty to him, like and brings a Harry Kane Bayern Munich jersey to a press conference, he's like, Okay, good job, buddy. Yeah, he is disarming and honest, and it feels like he's speaking from the heart, along with speaking savvily and intelligently. Like, it's, it feels like we're seeing an unfiltered look at the way he actually feels about things. And in a way that is not like Antonio Conte threatening to kill himself on live television, you know, like it is, it is real, but it is measured and, and appropriate. Yeah. It doesn't mean conventional chess, which is a nice change of pace. Yeah. And I mean, look, I think he gets away with a lot of stuff because he calls everybody mate and he has that accent and I, and he said as much. I think there was a, he has a press conference like either earlier this week or last week where he's like, people tend to like me because I do call everybody mate. And, you know, <laughs> I was just like, I'm like, all right, well, at least he knows then. But like you read Brian, any of his quotes. And it is a good day. 
Yeah, exactly. It is. He's yeah. He's I mean, totally look, right. Like calling say mates and blokes. The bloke. I like the blokes more than the mates, but it's. I, I think I said this at the time when we hired him. It is cool having an Aussie manager. Australian people just like have an energy that's cool, and he is demonstrating that. Like he fucking brought up fucking Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue in a press conference the other day. Like, I what what more do you want from from a guy? Like, literally, literally, I want him to bring uh, the dad from Bluey to um, the Spurs game. That that that's all I could. All, the only other thing I could. Ask. You wanted to bring an animated character to? No, I want to bring the voice actor who can. Oh. Like a nerd. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm a dad. That's which is a different form of nerd. Um, this leads us neatly to another question. This comes from Alienator Doctor on Twitter. He wants to know: uh, Is Ange a big boy or not? Brian, this is your real house. Uh, as, yeah. as our resident big boy, Brian, we, we would like to hear from you on this. You know, see, here's the thing. I don't think you can be a big boy if you're five foot ten. Oh, I disagree. Oh, no. No, no, no. I, you know, I think, you know, he can be a hard man or he can be like, but I don't know. I think to be a big boy... You have to be above six foot. Like that's oh, just I know. as I a tall agree. person, that's just my point of view. This is the Big Ten in you talking. No, being a tall guy is different than being a big boy. Being big has nothing to do with height. It has to do with energy. girth and energy. Yes, energy above all else. And He's like got, he has big boy energy. He's got. I feel like the best way I can describe big boy energy is. Like, like you said, it's, it's, it's the girth and the energy and the energy is if he's had like six beers, is he fun to be around or is he like kind of a pain in the ass to be around? And he's, and definitely looks like he's fun to be around. I, 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 I disagree. I think you have to be above six foot to be a big boy. Well, I disagree with your face. That's right. You're tall. Yeah. But does that make you big? Greg is tall. Is Greg a big boy? I'm not boy? a big boy. I'm no, not Greg is boy. Greg is not a big boy. First of all, that was a little too emphatic. Second of all, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Greg is Greg is a very little boy. Wait a minute. Greg is a little boy. Wait a minute. A little baby <laughs> Didn't boy. Didn't like the turn this took, did you? No, not like this at all. <laughs> this doesn't have big boy energy at all. I don't know. I I I just. Yeah, I don't know. Brian, I, yeah, think, I, I think we have a, another question here from someone who is in the same line of work as you. Low-level ambulance chaser Rob asks, uh, how many rounds would it take Ange to knock out Antonio Conte in a traditional boxing match? Uh, as few as possible? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing you have to take into consideration is not really either of them are designed for traditional boxing. I think Ange is more of like a brawler, and Antonio Conte is... And just a bare knuckle boxer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, but if you put him in, you know, gloves and shiny shorts, I don't know. That's that interesting. Um, but I think the thing you have to remember is that Thomas Tuchel, who is basically a scarecrow, like absolutely wrecked Antonio Conte with a <laughs> handshake. So, like, if all you got to do is like grab his hand real hard to like own him then uh then i think Ange is probably okay yeah he's much more of like a hitch you in a brick 
hit you with a brick in an alleyway kind of fighter and not like a put on the shiny shorts guy. He'll do it to your face. Like the thing about Conte is he's a fucking pussy and he will run around. He will float like a butterfly and sting like nothing because he's sting like a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think Conte will spend the entire 15 rounds just running away. I don't think Conte would throw a single punch. I think Conte's a coward. He's a weak, weak man. So I think if Conte caught or if if Ange caught him with one punch, he would just stay down to not have to fight anymore. But I think I don't know if, if Ange has the mobility to catch up to him. Antonio Conte's if Ange punched Antonio Conte, Antonio Conte's soul would like leave his body and take up residence in a traffic cone somewhere, so it could live a second life, stopping people from enjoying themselves. <laughs> Um, moving on, we have the same question from Yellow Mustard Enjoyer and Bill, who want, both want to know, and I think this is a good way to end, uh, is it possible to love Ange Postacoglu too much? <laughs> no, man. No. No, no. I mean, we might lose a game. <laughs> and Fucking off the podcast, man. You've been banished. You know, when... It happens that we do, maybe not inevitably, but eventually lose a game. You just you just don't want to invest too much in a guy who might hurt you. Yeah, like why what if we I, lose? Why would I invest too much and you know start calling a guy dad? That would never happen. So it's true. Well, you've got your own issues to work out. Um, <laughs> now, but like, what if we lose that that first cup match to Fulham or whatever? Like. And we go out of the League Cup in the year where we are primed to win a trophy. Because Dad wants to teach us a lesson. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Be a That's what we'd have to. That we would all find a way to justify it. <laughs> no, I think. How look, many I losses think, in a row can Vibes FC withstand before everybody like loses their shit? Let's not. Let's not do this, guys. Let's, <laughs> like we're we're already turning we're turning this ship around. We're we're a fun podcast to listen to again. Let's not let's not do this till we have. I mean, look for me. I am comfortable watching, like, if we had lost to Brentford, if we had lost to Man U, and then still come out that second half looking the way we did, whatever, I would be fine. I feel I feel comfortable losing under this regime because I understand that it is a work in progress. And I think it has gone well so far, and I'm glad that we've, picked up four points from two games and are sitting towards the top of the table. But like, I want everybody listening to be prepared for the reality that we will lose and it is okay. You should still love what we're doing even when we lose. Well, I think Ben, you hit on the exact right point there is that, is that this right now we have like a direction and this is a project and so much of what we have done you know, from the hires to the transfers over the past few seasons has been all about win now. Like we kept Harry Kane two years ago or three years ago because we were going to win now. And then we finally sold him because now we're accepting that this is a rebuild and a project. And I mean, I think we were in kind of the same boat when we brought in Pochettino. We all, to an extent, accepted that it was uh, a 
a progress. Like there was, there, you just had to trust the process and hope that we would get there eventually. And, and we did, we, we, we made a lot of progress as a club. Um, and so I think that's just, I think it's easier to take losses when you understand that that's what your team is doing, but not, not to say that you have to be happy about it or anything. Cause of course losing sucks, but like, Okay, if you like you said, if you come out in the second half and you see like, oh, this is working. Oh, these players are developing. These things are happening, whatever. Like there's different benchmarks by which we're measuring this season, I think. Yep, 100 percent. Oh, did you mute yourself, Greg? You, oh, yeah. No, I'm sure. Oh, I tried oh. to follow Brian's big boy example. Uh, the answer is no, there is not possible of Ange too much because he is impervious. Uh, I think there it's time to wrap it up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Yusuf. At what? On, on what website? On x.com. <laughs> Covered in jizz. <laughs> this is the worst, worst <laughs> logo in the history of it logos. Really, it really is. Uh, Brian, what uh, website Covered in Jizz can people find you on? <laughs> I mean, LinkedIn, I guess. Um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you guys use your LinkedIn, but um, sure. Um, the, I, I, recruiters seem to be really excited on LinkedIn lately. Um, so you find me there, I guess, if you really want. Or Twitter at or X at Brian <laughs> underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. Or you can follow me on uh, Blueski uh, at Brian Ashlock. No underscore. That's right. You can find my family friendly uh, uh bleaks i don't know what we're calling it on blue sky at uh skipjack you can find my super sexy after dark uh tweets on x at skipjack 0079 they're all uh, about adley rutschman don't get excited yeah, ooh, ooh. <laughs> no you have to i'm not gonna this, this is a family friendly uh, podcast right <laughs> um yeah uh don't forget to follow on just twitter for right now sorry on x right now our sensuous sensuous uh tweets at wdr podcast uh for ben for brian and of course for brett rainbow i've been your host greg come on you spurs